Well, hey there, and welcome to episode number 79 of Groove, the No Trouble podcast, which you can always find at notrouble.com. My name is Mitch Joel. Let's get on with the show. So who are you and what do you do? My name's Tom Kennedy. I'm a bass player. I'm a touring musician. I'm a composer. And um, I'm a music lover. You are. And you've got a, a new album out, Stories. I do. Yes, I do. Very Which, excited about it. We're going we're gonna to talk about the present, but, uh, but I like to go back to the past first. So yeah, yeah, this is where we, we, we crack the walnut open a little bit, Tom, on this show, because my whole thing is I find bass players that I really like. And I was telling you prior to recording this, that I was a huge fan of Planet X, which we will talk about, but it's somewhat divergent from, from the work that you do. And I always read you know, bios. I find with bass players, they're never really complete. It's like Tom started ba- playing bass playing at a young age. And I'm like, why? Why would he do that? What happened? What's going on in his world? <laughs> yeah. So you started playing double bass at like before you were 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I I started playing, you know, I got serious about, I was serious about the bass since I was three or four. Um, and my brother and sister used to play Beatles records and I would sing the bass parts. And I had this little trick I could do with my voice to where I could, I could sing kind of in that, in that register, you know? And, and so for me, I just always, it, it always, you know, pardon the pun, but it always had a great resonance for me. And, um, I just always heard bass. I, I just always enjoyed it. It's such a strange thing to hear. There's, there's a lot of strange things in that, in those few sentences. One is, Enjoying the bass at three, most people, even when they pick up the instruments, will struggle to find the bass line. Right. <laughs> like right. Especially, yeah, I don't, I, I, I think I know how, how old you are. And we're probably about 10 years apart. I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you. But especially in the area era that, that we all grew up in, in terms of the music we were exposed to. Now, obviously, there was a musical family at play here. Your parents were extremely, your father was a professional musician, correct? That's correct, yes. And he opened a music store um, you know, uh, before I was born actually. And, um, in Missouri and we grew, all grew up in the store, you know, it was, it was our destiny. <laughs> destiny <laughs> like fulfilled. Or not, you know, we were, we were destined to work in that store every day after school and weekends and, you know, all of that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that that definitely had quite a bit to do with it um, because my father exposed my brother and I to a lot of jazz, you know, a lot of Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Art Tatum, you know, things like that, that normal kids weren't really listening to. And, you know, just even, you know, and, and of course, when you talk about the Beatles, I mean, even though people didn't even realize back in those days what amazing writers they were and, you know, arrangers and, you know, musicians they were. So, you, you know, we were, we were hearing great things all the time, you know, and I, and I heard great bass lines, you know, forever. And it just, and, and I remember, you know, when I was really little, I had these little record players, these little mono record players that, that would play 45s. But I remember one had a bigger speaker than the other and it had a bigger bass tone. And that's the one I used, used to listen to all the time. Um, so it just it just kind of it was just a natural transition into playing from from listening to it so much. And in fact, my brother, you know, when I was probably four or five, he strung up a ukulele and put thick strings on it. So it would it had a deeper tone. And I would start, you know, kind of practicing and trying to figure out what the notes were on these songs. So it you know, I, I just I just gravitated there for some strange reason. And um you know, it, when I, when I was, when I was eight years old, I remember for my eighth birthday, um, we, uh, we had actually borrowed, it's, it's kind of a long story, but my brother was, my brother was tall. And so when he was in middle school, they gave him an upright bass to play because he was tall. And, uh, but Ray was one of those kind of people that could play anything. So 
uh, I remember the orchestra teacher just came to him and said, listen, we have a concert coming up. We need a bass player. You're the only one that can learn this stuff. So we need you to play bass. So he brought a bass home. And I remember the first time I saw it just being fascinated with it. And uh, I, I remember I plucked a string. I think it, would, I, it was actually the A string. And uh, I just heard the resonance of this thing. And I thought, that's it. You know, and, and it really honestly, that, that was the defining moment, I think, in my, in my bass playing career. That's when I knew I was going to play bass. It could and go. I, just, good, no, I go haven't ahead. looked back. I yeah. just haven't looked back since. It kind of could have gone either way. I mean, if your father's making you work in the store, it would also be very natural to rage against that. I don't want to be in the store. I don't want to play music. This is my dad's world. It's not my world. I mean, it's a very natural teenage kid thing to do. What did your parents think of the Beatles? <laughs> like, were they, well, they into the, the Beatles? <laughs> yeah, they they knew. I mean, they knew the melodies. And and my mother, you know, was not a musician, but she would sing and she knew all of the standard songs, you know, the great, great American songbook and, you know, could sing you any song in any key and, uh, you know, but, but claimed she had no musical talent. But she also loved good melodies. And that was, you know, that's kind of what I was getting at earlier with the Beatles. I don't think a lot of people knew at that point, you know, just, just what amazing talents they were, but the melodies that they were already, you know, singing, you know, coming up with and writing back in those days, um, you know, with, uh, with a lot of more writing to come, but, but, you know, you could already hear that the, the, the melodies those guys were coming up with were incredible. And my mother knew good music. So she, you know, was, was very aware of, of, you know, the Beatles and my sister was in love with Paul McCartney. So, you know, so there were, there, there was uh, Beatles music in the house constantly I mean, the Beatles. along with, along with Oscar Peterson and Bill Evans and, you know, well, you don't have to, you don't have to tell me Oscar Peterson twice. I live in Montreal, so I know all about, <laughs> Oh man. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. We could talk yeah, Oscar too. Go. Absolutely. I literally Absolutely. just drove by. I'd run out today for a couple messages and I drove by where there's this massive mural of, of Oscar Peterson and Oliver Jones together. It's a, I'll take a picture of it and send it to you. You got to see it. It's great. <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah. 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 We, well, we, you know, the first time I heard Oscar and, and of course, you know, with Oscar came Ray Brown and, and boy, that was huge for me that, you know, just to, not not to uh, not to step into something too soon, but but that was you know that was a defining you know point in my in my bass playing as well was discovering him. So tell me a little bit about what was going on because when we talk about the Beatles music, it's easy to appreciate what it is. It's harder for people who didn't live through to understand the cultural revolution and the cultural impact that came with the Beatles because it was more than just music for sure. And yeah, I, I'm trying to reconcile that thinking of you as a young individual hearing this music for the first time with the fact that there's also this person that's being very drawn towards jazz music. And what was it like growing up socially in terms of friends or friends? Like what a weirdo, like what are you doing listening to jazz? It's only the Beatles. Like it's only this, it's the, it's the rock and roll movement here. Yeah, it was strange. I think they just didn't know what to think. I think, I think kids at school, you know, were not all that interested in something in, in things they didn't know about. And, uh, you know, so I think I was accepted by the fact that I, you know, I liked the Beatles and I also liked pop music. I liked the music on the radio. You know, I think that's why I ended up being, you know, a, a, a pretty round player because I, you know, I started very early, you know, um, you know, being able to appreciate anything that was good, any music that was good. You know, I heard, I used to hear country music that was, you know, that was really clever and, you know, some interesting chord changes and just, you know, the way they produced the, the songs and, and, you know, there were a lot of things and I listened to classical music as well. And uh, my sister uh, played classical piano for years. So, you know, and my brother was practicing on another piano across the room, practicing jazz licks you know, so I had like these, I, I was, you know, I mean, basically I was just, you know, encircled with all of this incredible music and, and, and very diverse, you know, as well. And so, you know, I, I just, I just didn't think anything about it. And as I said, I think as, you know, because of the fact that I like pop music and I like the Beatles and all that, I think I was accepted in, in, in normal society. 
And, and so where is it where you start making more professional decisions? And I'm asking this because, again, I love all these different career arcs and how people get to where they are, in particular people who decide to make the base their thing. And as we speak, Tom, I know that before you were 18, you were really busy gigging with some really, really big names. And sometimes the choices we make when we're teenagers uh, impact our lives really dramatically when we get older. You start back and you go, well, I made this choice when I was 16 and here I am at 50, 60, still doing this thing, positive and negative. There's a lot of negative within that too. How did your life evolve to the point where at, a, at such a young age, you were playing with such seasoned veterans? How do you transition from, I'm enjoying this music, I'm playing it in the store, I'm playing it at home to I'm gigging and these names are asking me to sit in with them? Yeah, that was crazy. And, and you know, in reference to what you were talking about, about, uh, you know, years later, looking back on it, it's it is a weird thing. And it's something that I think about every day. It's really amazing to me that a choice that I made that long ago, you know, has stuck with me. And it's still something that, you know, I'm still excited when I think about the next performance opportunity or or the next recording session uh, that I'm going to get to do. You know, it's it's a gift. And, and I've always looked at it that way. And I think that's the, the real key to being a successful musician and what, you know, and what you consider successful, which for me is just the gratification of, you know, my, my own gratification and the happiness that I bring other musicians and other, you know, and other people to come out to listen, you know, so for me, it, it really is a great gift. It's a great gift that I can give as well. And, um, I think, you know, I always kind of had that sensibility, um, even from when I was a kid that it, there was just something that was very special because I, I knew that, you know, other kids at school weren't going home and trying to emulate Oscar Peterson and Ray Brown with their brother, who was a brilliant pianist. You know, it just, it just didn't happen, you know? So, so we knew that there was something kind of special about what we did and, uh, you know, to bring up Ray, my brother, um, he, around the time I got interested in the bass, he really started getting interested in playing jazz piano and it was good it match. Really, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing because, you know, I talked to him years later and I said, well, I thought you had been playing jazz for a year or so before I ever started. And he said, no, nah, I, I picked it up. Maybe, you know, I started really taking Oscar seriously, you know, um, maybe about a month before you found that base, you know, in our living room. And, uh, so, you know, we started playing together and we started trying to emulate these, you know, these great musicians. And I think it was a good thing because we started learning tunes, um, which is getting to, to the point of, of being able to play with these guys, you know, that came through town. And so, you know, we knew a lot of jazz tunes. We knew a lot of stuff and we didn't really know what the greats great, you know, great American songbook was as opposed to, you know, newer like bop type type songs and things like that. We just loved all of it. We, we just liked, you know, the changes and trying to learn how to play over the changes and, you know, trying to create an interesting baseline over a change, you know, or a series of changes. And so it was just fun. And, and we used to actually sit there and we had an old Franz metronome on top of the piano and we'd, we'd turn that on and that was our hi-hat. And we would just sit there and play for hours, you know, different things at different tempos. We'd try turning the thing all the way as fast as it would go and then trying to play as slow as it was go. It, it was like, it was like, you know, it was like kids playing, but we were playing music and, you know, but it was that much fun. It, it was just, it was just a great, you know, experience and, and brothers together, man, there's just nothing like that. You know, there, there's nothing. I mean, we, you know, we felt exactly the same about the music. We were equally excited about the music. And, uh, you know, when we used to listen to records, we'd, we'd look at each other at the same time, like, wow, did you hear that? You know, so, so it's really an incredible experience for me, but, you know, through that and through, you know, uh, learning all of that music, you know, we were ready, we were kind of ready and we, you know, found a young drummer and we started playing around town 
And people were kind of amazed. I think they were just as amazed at the fact that, you know, the, the music that we knew and the songs that we were pulling out, you know, My Foolish Heart and, and the bass player's 10 and the drummer's nine and the piano player's 13. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, th I think people found that hard to believe, but, you know, we were doing it and uh, we started getting quite a bit of exposure around St. Louis and, uh, you know, started playing. My, my mom got us on a bunch of like kitty TV shows, you know, where we started playing and pretty soon we were playing on adult TV shows, um, you know, like interview shows and things like that. And, you know, and it was starting to get, the word was starting to get around. And the funniest part was when the St. Louis union contacted my parents and said, listen, you know, these kids are making money doing this. They need to join the union. They need to be union members. <laughs> And it was hilarious because, you know, we thought, okay, well, you know, and we were, we were kind of afraid of them and we said, okay, sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll join the union. And they said, but we need for you guys to come and audition and come, come play for us, you know, cause everybody that joins the union has to audition. And so we walked into this big room. I brought, I dragged my bass in, there was a upright piano there and Ray and I started playing music. And there were a couple of guys sitting around. Pretty soon there were about 10 or 15 people. Next thing we know, they're setting up a table and they have like cake and they have punch. <laughs> and it turned out to be just a party for the, for the, for the union, uh, for the union people, you know, uh, at, at the, at the local musicians union. And they basically just had us there to play music for them. <laughs> You're the trio. <laughs> and they sat there and clapped for us. And and I remember my mother went over to the to the president of the union and said, "So, um, so what do you think of the kids?" And he said, "Are you kidding? They they were in before they walked in the door." <laughs> you know. And 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 so that you know that was one of the ways that 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 our you know that that our name started getting around. But you know we started we started going to these. These, you know, these jazz clubs and some of them were, you know, a little bit risky, you know, not not the safest places to be. But, you know, again, and that was the amazing thing about about our parents is they knew that this is what we wanted. This is what we wanted to do. And they and they could see how fast we were growing as musicians. And so they wanted to be us to be exposed to the best we could be exposed to, you know. And uh, so we started playing these clubs and then, you know, word gets around and, and, you know, there were quite a few great older musicians in St. Louis who had connections to those guys in LA and those guys in New York. So the word started getting around to those guys. And, you know, back in those days, the, uh, a lot of the headliners like Sonny Stitt and James Moody and Freddie Hubbard and people like that used to travel around and they'd pick up rhythm sections as opposed to carrying their band, you know, in many cases, they would just go on a little tour and they would just go by themselves and pick up guys. And so I remember the word started getting around all those guys. So, you know, next thing we go, we get, we, we get a call from James Moody's manager, you know, James coming to town, he wants to play with you guys. And, uh, you know, it was funny cause I think in a lot of cases, these guys would, would uh, walk into the club and they'd think that we were the little kitty warm up act for the for the main band you know we are so the they, band yeah <laughs> yeah right you know we'd and, and my brother would say yeah mr moody yeah we're 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 the band you know and i can imagine i could imagine but you know it was great i mean we boy what an experience i mean what a what an incredible experience playing with those guys and you don't get that any other way you really don't you know you can play along with records and you can you can practice until your fingers bleed, you know, but there's nothing like playing with the pros. And and boy, we learn so much from those guys so quickly. How, how old are you, Tom, when you realize that this is the path? It's one thing to be playing with your brother. And there's a lot of motivation, I'm sure, challenges also with, with being brothers. You're playing with all of these players and Dizzy Gillespie, all these players before you're even legal. Had you already made the decision at that point, like this is it, this is what I'm going to do my whole life? Were you thinking about things like, well, how do you make more money at this type of thing? Were you thinking about a career? What was going on in your brain at that time? Well, that's the thing. That was what was so funny. Ray and I talked about it years later. And, you know, it's funny how kids are. They just, they just want to do what they want to do. And 
we, you know, in answer to your question, I mean, I think when I was 12, I knew because I just loved, I couldn't imagine doing anything different. You know, I think at that point you could possibly be talked into doing something else. You know, or the, there are a lot of other things that are come, you know, going to come around and, and, you know, and you might have a decision to make. But I think by the time we were, I would say 15 or 16 years old, I, I knew, you know, and we were already, you know, starting to get busy. In fact, you know, Moody called us after we'd played in St. Louis, said, I got a gig in Chicago for two weeks at Rick's Cafe, which was in the old Holiday Inn on Lakeshore Drive, and asked us if we wanted to come up and play. And it was funny because I think that was one of the that was one of the the key moments where I just kind of thought, okay, this is a career. This is we're done. This, <laughs> this is it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's like yeah, I can I can go places. I can play my instrument. I can you know stay in cool hotels. I can you know play great jazz and and. You know, and, and this is this is like this was my dream. So did you, you know? go? Did you do college or did you just pursue music after high school? I did. Well, I did both. And I, uh, you know, and I regrettably probably didn't get nearly as much out of that because I was so busy. <laughs> and most of those guys I was playing gigs with, you know, and and so that's that's kind of a that's just kind of a. I don't know. It's like a gray area in my life because I just, I wanted to get out of St. Louis so badly. And, um, you know, and I did, and I did shortly after I, yeah, mean, mid, I, I mid, left when I was 23. Yeah. Mid eighties, you, 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 you hopped, you hopped, you hopped your way over to New York city, which is, you know, it's one thing to be a, a big fish in a small pond or a medium fish in a medium pond. Then you hit New York city, which is ground zero. I mean, it's ground zero for this type of music that you're trying to communicate with. What was it like for you? Did you suddenly feel a, a burden of competition and the heat of it? Were you feeling like I, I'm running with these cats and life is good? What was your, where, what was your mental state at? What was, was your, where were your playing chops at? Well, I, I felt very confident Ray and I both, um, and we, you know, we continued to New York together as well. Um, and I felt, you know, nothing but confidence about going there. They, and, and more just by the fact that there was nothing else to do. There was really, and I didn't mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, but back in St. Louis, I mean, I'd played everywhere, you know, uh, I don't know how many times, you know. And I, I just, there, there was really nothing left to do. You know, I'd, I played with everybody I could possibly play with there over and over again and, you know, exhausted all of the clubs and, and, you know, it just, it just felt like there really wasn't anywhere I couldn't, I couldn't improve. I couldn't improve my game. And I, and I kind of felt like I was just kind of staying at the same level and I didn't want to do that. Um, and, you know, Ray mentioned it first, he said, let's get out of here. Let's go, let's go to New York. You know, and, and we actually had a couple of friends that we were able to stay with up there. And, uh, you know, to, to bring up Dave Weckl, uh, he had moved to Connecticut uh, about a year before and then had moved down to New York City just recently. Uh, and I found that out. And then I had just played a little clinic thing with Peter Erskine back in St. Louis and uh, I told Peter that I was, you know, really thinking about going to New York. And he said, well, let me give me a call. He said, you never know what's going on up there when you, you know, when you when you get there, there might be an opportunity or something. He said, give me a call. So, uh, you know, Ray and I decided to go. And uh, I remember I was I called Weckl and I called Erskine and I called several other people when I got there. And um Peter was the last call I made, I think. Um, I remember I went and heard Dave playing with someone at, at, a, at a club up there, and I don't remember much well, Dave, about that. I mean, Dave at the time was super hot with, I mean, Chick Corea for sure at that point, I think. No, no, he was, that, that was before Chick. Oh, it was before and, Chick, okay. Yeah, we'll get to that, because I was there for that. Okay, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I would have thought mid-80s. No, this, this was, no, he was... Um, this was uh, 84. Huh. And so it was just shortly after that. It was about a year after that. Okay, okay. That, uh, that the thing happened with Chick. Um, 
but anyway, I, uh, I got to, to, uh, I got there and, you know, when her Dave play and I think it was the following day, I think I spent a day in New York and I called Peter Erskine the next day and he said, he said, man, you're not going to believe this. He said, uh, Eddie Gomez is going to leave steps ahead. And he said, do you, would you be interested? He said, we found a guy that we like. He said, but I, you know, after playing with you last month, he said, I'd like, I'd like to have you come in and audition with the band. And, um, he said, are you familiar with our new album? Which I did not know because it had just come out, but I knew all their stuff before that. Of course, uh, I was a huge fan of Mike Brecker and, you know, and Peter and, and Mike Minieri. And, uh, so he said, well, go out and buy this record and learn these three songs from the new record. And he said, and you know, a lot of the older stuff, he said, and, and I'll set up the, uh, the audition. And he did. And I got the gig and it was, and that was, I would, I was, I had been in New York for five days at that point. And, um, what also happened was, uh, Dave said, you know, I've just started doing this re rehearsing with Bill Connors the guitarist, you know, from, from Return to Forever, the original guitarist. And uh, he said, you know, uh, he said, there's a bass player that's been rehearsing with us, but he kind of wants out. Do you want to, do you want to, you know, do you want to come in and rehearse with Bill? So I was rehearsing with Bill, which led to, uh, somehow or another led to doing a couple of gigs with Tanya Maria. Um, and before I knew it, by the end of, by the end of the month, I'm, I'm, I had been there for a month and I was getting ready to go tour with Tanya Maria and then tour with steps. And so, no, it wasn't, it was, there was no room to breathe <laughs> and I didn't really feel the competition. You know, it, it, it kind of just took off like a rocket and I, and I wasn't, you know, I really wasn't ready for that, you know, but, but I wasn't going to say no. So it's, it's hard for me not to think of that period, Peter Erskine, and then think about obviously Jacko Pastorius. Where was Jacko in your, in the orbit of your world at that point? He was, you know, I had heard it, it's a, it's a weird thing about him. I, I heard his solo record when it came out. I didn't really know about Jocko all that much, but I remember I heard the solo thing. I heard Donna Lee and all that. And I was very impressed, you know, who wouldn't be? Um, but I was in a different place. At that time, I was more of an upright player, you know, and I, and I liked electric bass, but I, I was, you know, I think I was more into the upright when I heard Jocko. So it, it wasn't as, you know, it didn't have the impact that it had on other players and especially electric players. Yeah. You know, I could definitely appreciate him and the guy, you know, I knew is a monster. I mean, it was just, it was incredible and I could hear everything he was doing you know, harmonically and all that. And it was, it was just incredible to hear the guy. And then it was years later that I really kind of got into him, you know, and I went back and I heard the weather report stuff and, you know, and, and Peter had a lot to do with that too. Well, that's you know? why I'm asking. I'm, I'm wondering if Peter's like, you got to meet this cat I'm playing with over here. Who's doing this incredible, what, you know, it's unbelievable. Well, he, uh, you know, they, they had played, they had played together for, for a long time, you know, so I, you know, there, there, it really wasn't about that. I mean, I think everybody, you know, Jocko was just kind of a household name as far as jazz goes. And, and so you were just expected to know him <laughs> right. and, uh, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, and I did and I, but it was years later that I really kind of, kind of, you know, I guess you know, started, started looking into everything about Jocko, you know, and, and of course, you know, he, he's an incredible player. I was, I was, I'm a big Anthony Jackson, you know, is, is one of my, you know, one of my heroes. And, uh, I remember growing up, I used to listen to Ralph Armstrong and I think I got a lot of ideas from him. I listened to records, you know, from, from those times and listened to some of his solos. I think, yeah, you know, I played some of that stuff. <laughs> so they're, they're just little influences along the way. You know, but there there are some that there are some bass players that really resonate. And oddly enough, you know, I I I love to solo, but my favorite thing is to play bass. I just I just love playing bass, and I love locking in the time, and I love playing alternate bass notes, and I like trying to change up a bass line and make and and do something interesting with it. Sort of, you know. And I think a lot of that came from Ray Brown 
because mm. Ray Brown, you know, played there. There was no one else that played like that. He, yeah. You know, the, the creativeness in in the line and just and just, you know, how he would vary the lines. But everything had a direction and it had a place and it was just perfectly placed. I'm so curious about when electric became more interesting to you, what it was like, how you how you saw them in different ways, because even if I go back to Bases Loaded, 1996, your record, or I think about what you're doing now on stories, I can personally see the change, which is normal. Artists change and they evolve for sure. But your approach for stand-up versus electric is really, really different. The genres you you play when it's electric feels, I'll use the word more progressive or fusion-y, when did the when did that instrument start taking hold for you, and what was ha- happening in your life, or, or the music that was impacting that for you to make that change or addition to your to your repertoire? Your, your I was going to say your repertoire, your rapport. I'm not sure which word it is. I'll take them both. I think they they're both, both good. Yeah, <laughs> both good words. Um, yeah, it was it was around that time. It was seriously around that time. I mean, I played electric bass back in St. Louis. I used to play in funk bands. I loved Larry Graham. Larry Graham was, was a hero. You know, um, I love Verdine White. You know, there were, there were just all kinds of guys I love to listen to. You know, I, I was a big earth, wind and fire nut. And, uh, you know, I, I really loved, I think I kind of looked at electric at that point as the funk machine. You know, I just loved playing it that way. And then I'd go out and play a jazz gig on upright. You know, but in the meantime, you know, you kind of learn how to do the things you're doing on upright on the electric as well. You know, you're sitting around the house and you're practicing and, you know, maybe I didn't feel like going down and getting the upright. And I, I put on a Coltrane record and I just started playing a walking baseline on the electric, you know, and and so everything kind of crosses over. And like I say, it was such it was such a game for me. It was so it was like playing it was like outdoors, you know, out in the front yard playing you know, for me to be playing the bass. And I was always experimenting. I was always trying different things. So, you know, I'd one, one thing that I learned how to do was swing pretty well on the electric bass and make it feel like an upright. And I kind of did the, the opposite, you know, I could play kind of funky on the upright, you know? And so I, I tried to fuse the two instruments, which was fortunate because when I got to New York, the situations I was in, nobody was really interested in the upright. You know, they, they, you know, steps had had Eddie Gomez and they were looking to go more of an electric route. And so they, you know, I brought the upright to the audition and I played the upright in the audition and they liked the upright, but they said, you know, we're, we're going a different way. And we, you know, we kind of like your fretless bass, this little fretless bass that you brought along. We kind of like the sound of that. And we think that's kind of a good hybrid you know, to kind of get into the electric, more of the electric thing, which is where we want to go. And, you know, it was the same thing with Tanya. Tanya was kind of, you know, it was, it was Brazilian music, but it was more contemporary. It was more funky, you know, uh, fusion-y type, type things. And Bill Connors was total fusion. Um, if you're, uh, I don't know if you're, uh, familiar with those albums that, that the three of us did wackle me and, Connors did. Um, I'm a huge Dave Weckl fan, so I am. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so those were, you know, those, those are, that'll, that'll kind of give you an idea. But, um, so I would say really, you know, truthfully, I think that really got my electric chops kind of up and, you know, on 10 very quickly because I had to. And, um, you know, and then, and then I met the Federas. Uh, the, the, the bass makers and, you know, and they were willing to give me an instrument and, you know, I, I endorsed the, the, you know, the, the baseline. And I think that really changed a lot of things for me too. That's when I really began to take electric seriously, you know, and their instruments are so organic anyway, that it, it felt there was something very truthful about the way it felt. Oh. It felt, it felt like an upright bass. So you know, it seemed to it seemed to breathe like a like a like an acoustic instrument. And and so for me, you know, when I when I felt that, you know, that kind of quality and that kind of, you know, connection with an instrument, I mean, that's that's really kind of all it takes. 
It's funny how that how you can have a, a similar model, similar base, but just one one speaks to you. One's got the feel. It's a, it's an amazing experience when you can lock into whether it's a brand, but usually it's an individual instrument, and it's very um, it's it's tough to define. It just feels right. You, know, you can play the same instrument, same factory, same. Just one feels better than the other. Well, it was interesting, you know, and, and I thought that too. And I, and I had a bunch of old jazz basses. I mean, I had like a 63 L series jazz bass and I had a precision the same way and, you know, sold them all and, you know, could kick myself, but you know, worth a little I, bit today. I mean, it's a little, a little bit today. <laughs> yeah. But I can, I can tell you that they really didn't play, you know, in a way that, that really, you know, that I connected with. They, they, they were really nice and they sounded really nice and they were just weren't quite right, you know? And, um, when I went to New York, I had this Frankenstein bass. It was a precision neck. It was like a, a newer precision neck and it was an old jazz bass body that somebody had painted red. And every time I played the bass, there was red on my clothes. You know, it would, it would come <laughs> Not off even good paint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, but this thing, and, and I had some kind of, you know, pickup. I don't remember what the pickups were. They were just like replacement cheapies. But that's what I played with Bill Connors. And he loved that bass because it had, it had a real punchy kind of real hard sound to it. And, um, you know, and, and that was the closest thing I had to like a real electric bass that I really loved playing or really felt like I connected with until I played Federa. And, you know, since then I've had... Oh my God, I've, I've had seven or eight Federas through my career and every one of them I can connect to. Right. And it's, it's, it's just something about the way they, you know, the construction and the type of wood and the way they're carved and, you know, and they're all handmade and, and they're just amazing. And I think it's the reason, you know, so many, so many other people play Federa. So I'm, you know. I'm super curious about Dave Weckl. We, we mentioned him just famed drummer, amazing keeper of a beat, very eccentric, uh, cross genre, like just one of those drummers that I've always loved and respected and tried to follow and keep up on. You mentioned that when you moved to New York, you had called him. I'm curious about how you met him. And, and the second, probably more important part of the conversation that I'd love to hear is, I mean, it's a relationship that hasn't waned at all. I mean, he's, he's, he's front and center on the new album stories too. So what does it take to maintain a relationship over that amount of time? I think it takes brotherhood. Um, we, I met Dave in 1975 and uh, we were both, uh, I was 14, going to be 15, and he was 15. Um, and we met at a Stan Kenton summer clinic in Springfield, Missouri. And we both drove down there. Um, in fact, my mom drove me down there. Um, and again, my brother was with me as well. And, you know, it was one of those situations where you played in a big band every day and then you'd have, you could break off and play with small groups and then you could have little jam sessions. And it was really fun. I mean, it was really a, a fun place to be. And there were a lot of like-minded you know, young people there that really wanted to play music. And that was, you know, that was one of the first times that I was ever exposed to like other people my age that were actually serious about playing instruments, you know, and playing music and had heard jazz you know, it kind of, kind of blew my mind. Uh, I didn't, I didn't really know that there were that many other kids out there that would be interested in that. It's like me and uh, my brother, this guy over here. Now there's a whole bunch of us together. <laughs> now there's a whole bunch of us. Yeah. And there were some good players, you know, as, as kids, I remember there was some guys that kind of turned my head, you know, and, and I, not just bass, I mean, drummers and trumpet players and piano players. Um, but that's, uh, I remember we, we met him there. We were playing, we were doing a jam session. Um, and it was, it was just like a, like a, a mid afternoon thing. There was no, there were no plans and we just kind of met. There was a room, there was a particular room where you'd meet if you wanted to jam. And so obviously we were there and Ray sat down at the piano. And I remember I sat, I, I got on the, got on the bass and I remember Dave sitting down at the drums and I think there was another drummer there that I had actually wanted to play with. And I saw Dave sit down and I thought, oh, well, I was kind of hoping to play with this other guy. 
And we started playing and about two bars into it, I thought, yeah, I'm glad this guy sat down. You know, <laughs> it, it, there was, there was an immediate, you know, just an immediate chemistry. There were like, we just came from the same place. We had the same feel, you know, we, we wanted it to swing the same way. You know, and and there was just there was an immediate connection. I mean, you'd have to ask Dave about it, but that's the way I felt. I just you know, it just felt good. And I remember we were just look, we were just playing and smiling at each other, like, wow, this this really feels good. You know, it was it was just it was yeah, it was incredible experience. And we come to find out that he lives in St. Charles, which is a, a St. Louis suburb, and. Uh, you know, he lives about 12 miles from us, basically. So that turned into living room jams at our house with Dave coming over. He, he used to come over and, and he'd, you know, unload his drums and set up in our living room and we would play together and it was a ball. But, you know, that it, it was that quick. And it's always been that quick. That's that's one of the secrets about about music that I don't think a lot of people realize is when there's a connection you know, to, to either music or musicians, it's pretty immediate. You know it pretty quickly. And uh, when when Ray and I played with Dave, I remember both of us just kind of looking at each other like, this. here's the guy, you know. This is, uh, this is a real connection. This is a real musical thing. But through all the cycles and circles and different bands and different gigs, I mean, here we are in 2021 and your new album stories is out and it's featuring Dave Weckle. Yep. How, what's that? I mean, is it, you're just staying in each other's orbit and you're talking and there's a gig, you come do this, you come, it feels like paths go apart. Then these paths come back together. It seems very, not strange to me, just fascinating. I'm fascinated by the fact that people can maintain that type of relationship over that many decades and still find that urge when they're creative to go back to those people. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's, there's a, there's definitely a comfort level, but when you connect, you know, the, the amazing thing about that group back in St. Louis, and this was, you know, when I was in my later teens, but I met other, you know, people, other musicians that were around my age and, 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 you know, between, you know, kind of Ray and, you know, my age, uh, there were a lot of guys coming up at that time and there were a lot of little clicks. There were a lot of people that played together. And the funny thing is, you know, several of those clicks are, have, have lasted the test of time as well. They're, they're still playing together. You know, a lot of, a lot of the guys that we, that we knew when we were kids and we all know each other and we all try to stay in touch when we can, but there was something that, you know, there was something about Dave and I, and just the way we played together, and I remember he he called me about the Bill Connors thing, you know, and got me involved in that. And through that, Tanya Maria came, and you know, we just we just started doing things together. And I and I remember, uh, you know, in the late '90s, he was talking about doing his own band, and this was this was during the Chick years. And in fact, uh, to go back to step back for a second, we were playing uh, with Bill Connors. Uh, at the bottom line in New York City, and uh, Chick comes in and had heard about Dave. Uh, he he knew about Patitucci already, and I can't remember who the guitar player was at that point, but he kind of had those guys on standby and had come in to see Dave play because he'd heard great things about Dave. And I remember he hired him that night or he invited him to come come to L.A. and, and rehearse with the band. And, uh, you know, so, so at that point, you know, we weren't playing, obviously we weren't playing as much. And I, and before you knew it, uh, Dave had relocated to LA. And so that there was, there was a period there where we weren't playing all that much together, but we still played whenever we could, you know, whenever he was in town or whenever I was on the West coast, we would try to get together and play. And then, uh, I remember when he wanted to form his band, I got the call. You know, he said, he said, dude, we got to, we got to do this band. It's going to be, it's going to be a blast. And he also, uh, uh, wanted Jay Oliver to play keyboards. And Jay was someone that he had met around the same time as when we met. And I think I may have introduced the two of them when we were 15 years old or something. And I think we played a little jam session together, 
but uh, yeah, it's it really is incredible. I mean, it, it's it's really amazing when you think that think about how you know how sustainable you know, these these relationships can really be. And the but timing, it's a, it's a connection. It's it's you know we we think we think the same, we feel the same about the music, and we play in that same place. You know, we play in that same groove spot. You know, and and it and it's just e- so easy and it's so comfortable to when we play together. And so, I think we both just keep coming back to that. I mean, why not? Yeah, you know? it was also such an interesting time when you think about what was happening with the GRP label, and just again that that whole Chick Korea thing. It led to Patatucci solo, Weckl solo. There was this other, this new emerging type of sound or feel that that people were really interested in or at least a, a niche of people like myself were, were really interested in fusion then came some of the metal harder stuff the frank Cambales of the world it's a really interesting time for the genre too when you really think about what what the word fusion and progressive means in relationship to the word jazz yeah it felt like a lot of things were coming together at that point a lot a lot of influences were coming together it was interesting when chick decided to go that way yeah you know and that band was such a defining you know part of that of that whole movement, you know, of what fusion was going to be. And thank goodness, you know, it, it, I always thought that it could go somewhere that would be very, uh, non-organic, you know, that, that would be, that would be, you know, just chops for the sake of chops. And, you know, a lot of times when people think about that, they think about fast licks and, you know, going around the drums as quickly as they can and playing as many notes as they can. And, you know, playing as fast as they possibly can. And, you know, for me, you know, Chick and, you know, and, and everybody in that band just had such a good sensibility about music first, you know, and could still dazzle people with the technique. But I think it was such a good influence on that, on the genre, you know, to, you know, to bring something really musical. And of course, there were other bands as well. But, you know, just just as an example, you know, Chick coming from where he came from and, and all of the wonderful jazz that he had done before that. And he brought all of those influences into this into this new thing. So, yeah. you know, we were we're all very lucky. We're all very fortunate that 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 it happened the way it did. Yeah. And his death was it felt super sudden to me. I was watching him do some Facebook lives and then all of a sudden seeing that news, it will be one of the anchors for me. In the, in the in the future, when I reflect back on this entire pandemic, and I just just losing chick during it was also just another really like it was a oh, yeah it was a tough one. Whew. Yeah, absolutely. I I went back and I remember when I heard I you know I I was just stunned you know for for days you know and I think maybe the second or third day I had to go to YouTube for something. I was looking for something. And saw, you know, on the sidebar, I saw some chick things and I clicked on one and I clicked on another and I clicked on another. And the next thing you know, it was three hours later. Down the rabbit hole we go, yeah. Yeah. And I sat there with my headphones and I thought, you know, I wouldn't have done anything else the last three hours. That was that was just <laughs> it was so cathartic. You know, it really was because, you know, the guy brought us so much, you know. And, you know, and, 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 you know, that's, that's, that's what he's, what he is, you know, it's, it's the music that he brought us. He did a lot. He, for, I mean, look, he did a lot for the bass. He brought a lot of big names into the world to create a level of recognition that would allow them to go on to do other incredible stuff. If, you know, I, I don't like to diminish not just what he accomplished as a composer and as a musician, but also what he did to introduce the world to other artists. It's absolutely, it's pretty stunning. Oh yeah. 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 It was, you know, the, the, the miles of his time, you know, (laughs) and shit came from miles. I mean, that, you know, it's, it really is it, it, and that, that really has a lot to do with it. You know, it's, it's really, you know, someone taking, taking the torch and carrying on with it. And, uh, you know, and, and people need to do that. And again, it, it comes from such a great place because his music is so incredible and it's so deep and, and so deeply, you know, in, into the jazz thing and the, and the complexity and the beauty of what jazz can be. 
And, you know, to have these, these younger guys, you know, carrying on, carrying, carrying on that music. I mean, that's, that's, that's how it lives. That's how it survives. Uh, you're by no means old, Tom. You're getting older, like all of us are. I'm wondering when you think about your legacy, your music, what you're creating, what you're bringing in the world, have you seen a change in who you are? Do you see something different going forward? How do you view your, your career as you can reflect on a little bit more now? I'm really, you know, I have to say I'm happy, very happy. And I feel very blessed as I've said before, you know, and, and I think, you know, my legacy is as a performer, you know, and, and I think I've done some pretty good recordings and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of the way, you know, things have gone. Uh, but I, I have to say I really felt reinvented, you know, with, with this new record and I'm, you know, I know it sounds like a shameless plug for the, for stories, but it really is for me, it, it kind of reflects everything up to this point, you know, performance wise and the people I've known through my career and all of that. But as a writer, as a composer, you know, that this has really changed me. It's, this is this is like I've 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 really felt like I've reinvent kind of reinvented my career, and I'm so happy with it. And I'm I'm so uh, you know I'm I'm just you know I'm in it I'm I'm in it you know seven or eight hours a day, and I don't do that. You know I never practiced that much. I used to practice for an hour, and I put the bass down and go do something else. I'd come back in and pick it up, and you know through the day I'd probably put four or five hours in, you know practicing. But, you know, th this writing thing and sitting in front of the computer and, and just trying to come up with these, you know, arrangements and, you know, uh, melodies and rhythmic things that, you know, will kind of create this, this, this composition is just fascinating to me. I never, I, I've written in the past, but I've really never taken the time to, you know, kind of let it really seep in. And, and, and I guess, you know, really tap into that part of myself, into that, that, that creative part of myself. And so this has been just, this has been amazing. It's just, it's, it's, I feel, I feel like a completely different person. I've reinvented myself at, at this point in my life, you know, which, which I believe you can do over and over again. And it doesn't matter how old you are. Oh, that's great. Well, Tom, I can't thank you enough for hanging out and sharing some of these amazing stories, which is ironically the name of your new album as well, which is great. Can you let people know where they can best find out more about you online or check out the, the new album? Yeah, uh, absolutely. The, um, the, uh, website is tomkennedymusic.com and, um, uh, the album is uh, available through Autumn Hill Records, and uh, they have a website. And uh, but it, it's going to be it's going to be available on you know all of the normal platforms, Amazon, you know all, all of that stuff, uh, iTunes. And uh, I really just hope everybody you know gets a chance, and I I hope they enjoy it. I'm I mean I'm I'm so proud of it, as I said, and I and I just hope everyone else enjoys it as much as I do. Great, great album. Tom Kennedy, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh...